met up a week later at the Latin American Club and shared a margarita. Um, and I brought all my material. Yeah. Yes, and they're very, very strong. So we, I, you know, I wanted to be conscious. Yeah, we shared, um, and um, we, you know, crafted my first little set. That was Dara Kosberg. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from comedians, photographers, journalists, and San Franciscans from all walks of life telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. Welcome to episode 47, part two. In part one, Dara described her circuitous journey to the Bay Area from her home in Massachusetts. In this podcast, she shares how she came to work with end-of-life nonprofits, like her current gig as program director of Reimagine which kicks off tonight with its opening night showcase at the Sydney Goldstein Theatre. For more info, visit letsreimagine.org. Our exhibit, which we're calling Is San Francisco Dying?, opens tomorrow at the Laundry on 26th Street in the Mission. The show will be up through early November, and Michelle and I will be on hand tomorrow night, so come see us and share your San Francisco stories. Getting back to this podcast, here's Dara. I started doing informational interviews. Um, so one thing that kind of came out of um, my time in Costa Rica was that, um, you know, I was working with this like small organization and the woman who runs it or ran it was amazing. Um, you know, like one of the, the kind of biggest, hardest, you know, um, per- people in the world. Um, but you know, she's, we spent a lot of time kind of driving around and like, it just, I, I just felt like I wasn't having as much impact as I could have. And, you know, and I was thinking actually about going to business school, um, to like then lead a nonprofit or, um, help run a nonprofit. Um, and so, but I wasn't sure if it was really worth it. Cause I've also felt like I've heard a lot about business school of just being kind of like, a networking kind of thing, which is not really going to be that helpful given the line of work I want to work with. But I started doing informational interviews um, with different nonprofit leaders who had gotten business degrees to kind of get their thoughts. One of them was with the executive director of Net Impact, um, which is a nonprofit um, that was started on business school campuses. And it was for students who were interested in using um, business for good in both the nonprofit and for-profit sector. So both business, business thinking. And social, like socially conscious business. Yeah, yeah. But, but also like, you know, people who want to work in nonprofits or social en- enterprises and things like that. Right. Um, and I did this informational interview and about halfway through the interview, she's like, you know what, I actually have a job. It's not posted or like we're, we, they were going to hire somebody. But it, And anyways, she was like, would you be interested? And I came in. So she brought me back a week later and I got the job like right away. And then I stayed there for like five years, which is net impact. Yeah. Okay. And so, and this kind of in tying into reimagine was for the first three years, I ran these very large fest or conferences in the U S and Europe. Um, and then I worked on, uh, partnerships, um, like developing experiential learning programs for business students and professionals who wanted to go into socially, 
you know, in social and environmentally responsible work. Um, and so I worked on all these different, um, you know, cross-sector partnerships with like the government and uh, companies and all their nonprofits. And it was really interesting. But uh, I had an itch to go back to school. Um, and yeah. But not business school now. Not, yes. So I can say after working with a lot of business students, I was like, yeah, I think I've got, well, it was also like I worked for all these MBAs. So I felt like I kind of got in my honorary MBA in terms of like, you know, learning how to, you know, do things efficiently and like that kind of piece. And, and I was really interested in getting back into K-12 education, but I didn't want to just jump into working for another nonprofit without having my own perspective on things. Um, because in like in general K-12, just in education in general is very political and, you know, it's very, you know, people have their certain, you know, perspectives and it's like, I, I just felt kind of uncomfortable the idea of just kind of prescribing to somebody else's like idea of like how to do things without kind of having like more knowledge about kind of all the dimensions of it and how to think about it. I just wanted to like have more of my perspective. And I also just personally, after working kind of straight through, I, I kind of wanted a year of like just learning. And right, bettering, or bettering yourself. Yes. Um, it's a very expensive way of bettering myself. <laughs> I probably should have read more, but um, I, um I went, uh, so there's a program actually at Stanford School of Education, which is a mix of like policy and organizational leadership, but it's super flexible. And I had a friend who had done it where you can take classes in the business school, the design school, like as well. And you kind of get to develop the program as you want. Um, and so I ended up leaving Net Impact to do that. Um, is this like a post-grad program or? It's a grad. It's like an, getting a master's. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's just a one-year program, so it's pretty intense. And I ended up actually moving down to Palo Alto for the year, which is interesting. Um, and um, but and that what I focused mainly on was like program design and an evaluation, nonprofit leadership. Um, so all of these things that have kind of fit into both reimagine, but other things that I ended up doing. Um, I then. Um, through a professor, um, I thought I was going to work for a nonprofit. Ended up getting connected to an ed tech company, um, and I won't spend that much time talking about that. This must have been early 2010s. It was roughly. 2011, 2011 or yeah. 2012 was when I graduated. Um, and you know, it was um, it, I did learn a lot. Um, it was very much like I mean, the people were super nice. I, um, but it very much reinforce my commitment to the nonprofit um, industry in general. Um, I think both in learning about myself and sort of like what makes me tick. It was um, almost like your um, trip to Costa Rica in a way. Yes. It made you realize by doing something else made you realize what you Yes, did. exactly. And so while I was there, um, soon in, I actually then... Um, and this kind of is my connection to the end of life space, um, is um, help start a nonprofit called The Dinner Party, um, which is a community for people mostly in their 20s and 30s who've experienced loss um, and get together in potluck dinners in people's homes to talk about it. And so while I was working full time, I also helped 
the dinner party get off the ground. Um, and that was a major part of my life for about five years. You know, there it was like, you know, for the first several years, it was mostly just like, you know, helping set up, um, you know, various aspects of the nonprofit. Um, uh, but then I ended up focusing my work on the workplace um, and um, making workplaces more supportive for grieving employees because what a common theme that kept on coming up at the dinner parties was like the workplace was either a wonderful anchor for people during this time or like kind of a really horrible experience. I know from my own experience, I've been at my job 10 years and we've had two or three folks pass away from, you know, from our direct staff and there was absolutely zero support for my company. And then the other part of that is like, um, also I think by virtue of being there for so long, so many of the people that I work with have lost parents or siblings or, you know, I, you know, I lost a good friend. Yeah. Um, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's a shame. So you were, you were trying to get like drive a wedge into that and, and yeah. So to, to get companies, organizations, um, to use times of loss as an opportunity to actually build a stronger um, culture and, and, you know, actually demonstrate in a lot of ways, it's about loyalty. It's like, like, you know, I think the stories that I heard time and again from employees, um, was that at this time where they needed the most support was the time when their company let them down. And and there's not really like, you can't really undo that. Right. Like, especially in those first couple months, it's like, if, you, that time, you know, that it really kind of solidifies also the person's feelings about the company and the people that they work with. Um, it shows a humanity. I, that's the way I like to kind of frame it. It's mm-hmm. like, these are things, this is a big thing we all go through. Yeah. And you, and like you're saying, um, that isolation, I think you were talking about reimagine. Mm-hmm. You're saying like the, um, that isolation that, that because of the taboos, um, we, yeah, we don't have to be isolated. No. Um, well, and, and it's also like this idea that, I mean, obviously some people are really good at compartmentalizing their life, but let's just say the majority of people, um, you know, it's like they were spending so much energy at work just trying to be normal. And, and that amount of energy, like they could have been using that for other things that would be much more productive. And it's like, if, if they just had felt, um, you know, given permission to kind of be where they were at yeah. and, and giving just like more space flexibility and, and space and like, you know, it's like, let's just by saying like, we're going to, you know, ignore this, it doesn't make it go away. It's like, um, and so, um, yeah, so I spent a lot of time in that work just like interviewing people on sort of all sides of this to try to understand like why we're why were people failing other people at times when they needed the most help? Um, and so, uh, but, um, just as kind of leading into the connection with reimagine, um, was that, uh, so reimagine was actually born out of a project at IDO, the design firm, and they have an open IDO platform, which is, um, a platform where they crowdsource ideas around different social and environmental issues. And they did one on redesigning the end of life and the dinner party. We were participating in the challenge and, um, 
I got reconnected. I'd known Brad Wolf, who's the founder and executive director of Reimagine, um, and uh, he had come up with this idea of um, how to both use the arts to explore end of life, but also how to address a lot of the kind of stigma around this. And that even though there are a lot of like online resources, um, you know, more and more around end of life things that ultimately what he found was for people to kind of break through into like kind of these harder conversations about this, that in-person connection was a really important component. Um, and so came up with this idea of having one week where like a whole city is engaged. Um, and, uh, the first year was back in 2016 and, um, there are about 30 or 40, um, events that happened that first time, including an event that I put together for the dinner party, which was a, a 40 person dinner or 80 person dinner party, um, that, uh, um, where the, the topic that was discussed was, um, times when people or a community showed up for you in a time of loss or didn't or a time where you felt like you couldn't you didn't show up for somebody else um and what was really cool was that it was about half dinner party people um, who were already in the community and then half were just you know from the community you know and it was really intergenerational um and uh i just thought it was a really like powerful event and um, you know, a lot of more people got involved from the dinner party just from that. Um, but, uh, then Brad spent about a year raising money, um, and going through the process of actually forming, um, like breaking off from IDEO. IDEO to create like a new nonprofit. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, sorry, what time or what, uh, yeah. What time of year in 2016 was your, was it was April, I think. Okay. Okay. I, oh no. Or was it October? Yeah. Twenty. 16. 2018 was April for sure. Yeah, but I think it may have been. I'm trying to remember. I think it was the fall. Okay. Okay. And I might be. So or maybe f- fast yeah. forward a year to the hot tub up in Mendocino County. County, yes. <laughs> no, but um, yeah. Get, so get get us from. So you, I mean, you you did that, still as, part of dinner party. In under the banner of this reimagine this mm-hmm. kind of incubator yeah first reimagine um then how did you bridge yeah so so then I was you know I I was for working part-time on the grief in the workplace program and um you know I, I reconnected with Brad and you know things were starting to heat up with like finally you know got in you know nonprofit status funding and it was like okay there's plans for this festival in april of 2018 and we had this actually talk in in the driveway of my house and um you know and he was just kind of describing everything that needed to happen and i was like wow this sounds really similar to my work at net impact (laughs) like thinking about like how do you set up a structure for outreach and you know kind of thinking programmatically and then also just like thinking about my background in you know arts and then i was also doing comedy at the time you know i just started really getting into comedy and i was like you know i'd be really interested in working on the arts programming um and so i at first just joined as a part-time person, um, which quickly then became my more than full-time. Can we back up real quickly? Because we've kind of glossed over your comedy. Oh yeah. But I feel like those. Yes. No, no, no. There is this conflict. So 
earlier that year. So I guess I in 2006, yeah, in May of 2016 was when I went to my first open mic. And where was that? At Brainwash. Okay. And RIP. <laughs> and um, you know, throughout over the years, I would go through these periods where I would just like write little anecdotes, little things and you know, again, I didn't necessarily have like a big plan of like, I'm going to do stand up, but this is just like, kind of like these things were coming up and, you know, I, I had hosted a talent show at my house and dressed up as my grandmother and I'm seated as my grandmother. It was really fun. Um, and you know, I, I, you know, I, I loved giving wedding toasts and things like that and got, you know, positive feedback from that. Um, but basically in just, connecting into end of life loss. Um, I had been in a fairly serious relationship that, um, ended fairly abruptly. Um, I mean, it's kind of funny and sad, but basically like he met my eight month old nephew and realized that he was like not ready for any type of commitment. Um, and, um, so, um, and I was pretty devastated. Um, and I kind of, during that time, I, I was like, well, what do I have control over? What do I, you know, the only thing I have sort of control over is like what, you know, things I can actually do. What have I wanted to do that I just haven't done? And I called my friend and I said, in two weeks, I'm going to do open mic at Brainwash and you're going to hold me to it. Because I knew I needed that accountability. And we met up a week later at the Latin American Club and shared a margarita. Um, and I brought all my material. They make big margaritas. Like yeah. Like pint glasses. Yes. I and they're very, margarita. very strong. So we, yeah. I, you know, I wanted to be conscious. We yeah. We shared. Um, and um, we, you know, crafted my first little set. And you I... want to give that friend a shout out? Oh, yeah. Sam Johnson. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. Johnston. Um, yeah, she's awesome. She is actually still my uh, official um, comedy coach. Um, she's, I mean, not in comedy formally, but I think she's very funny and I trust her. Um, so uh, anyway, so I went and there was somebody there who was producing a show um, at Tommy T's Comedy Club in Pleasanton. And after my like three minute set, he's like, can you do 10 minutes in five days at Tommy T's. You're like, piece of cake. And I'm like, you know, I'm not one to say no. Um, So I, I only, I told like 10 friends and I got maybe 10 friends to come out for it. And I was, I mean, nervous is like, perspiring. Oh my God. No. And you know, I still had note cards and, um, but that's, but that's awesome. Yeah. Also, but the funny thing is the, there was, um, you know, another comedian who was telling us when we go on and it was just like, I was standing with him and I was so nervous. And this is where like my work in the nonprofit, you know, kind of arts education folks, you know, I was like, can you give me, um, can I have a hug? <laughs> Cause I was so nervous and he was just like, okay, bring it in. And then he like, was like out. He just like disappeared. I think I just weirded him out. I mean, I don't know. It was inappropriate of me to ask. Um, but I was just, I was so nervous. Um, but I will say one of the highlights of that is that I ended 
my set by saying, because I'd mentioned something about my, I have two cats, Sammy and Biscuit. Hey guys. Um, and um, I ended the set by saying, you know, if you want to see pictures of my cats, come find me after the show. And some man actually came up to some middle-aged man just like came up to me and was like, I'd like to see them. Like, and that was it. And so I actually got to show pictures of my cat. Oh my God. Uh, that, there's seven jokes written into that imagine, line yes. right there. Um, okay. So that was Tommy T's. Wow. Kind of a yeah. big deal. And how did you, I mean, you went from three minutes of an open mic to 10 minutes. That's a huge leap. I've never done comedy, but I have an idea. Yeah, I've done I mean, live events. Like I, it's... I'd ha- you know, for years I'd been re- writing stuff, so it wasn't like I wrote all new stuff. It was, you know, I mean, I hadn't crafted it in the sense of like this is how I'm going to perform it. But, you but had some jokes at the ready. Yeah, I had like I had concepts that I could like play with that I thought were funny. Um, okay. And so, so how yeah. did you feel after that? Like about comedy after that show? I mean, I was super ex- excited, you know, and then. Um, that euphoria, like literally post-show euphoria, I'm sure. But that yeah. sustained itself. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, I think um, I, in some ways I don't know a bigger joy than I've ever had from like shows. Like that kind of post or like just during like this kind mm-hmm. of like feeling like I'm in my flow and like, you know, there is. And, and I think part of it because there is this anxiety that happens beforehand. Um, but you know, in the last like six months or so, I mean, I still get anxious. Absolutely. But it's like much more manageable. Um, and so I'm actually, I'm like enjoying it more. Would you, for me, um, I, again, I've never done comedy, but I've done some public speaking stuff. Um, yes, anxiety. And then you start and it's simultaneously out of body and super in your body. Like you are super in control and you're just going with a, there's like a flow that just kind of takes over. And I think that's the out of body. It's like, it's Oh, I kind of black out. I, I yeah, kind of, it's, it's surreal like, as hell. Yeah. Like I don't, I mean, you might be able to tell already on this podcast. I'm, I, I'm not always the most like eloquent or like, you know, to the point, but it's kind of amazing to me that even in that sort of like, light shining in my eyes and like I, I kind of just go into this other space where it kind of just flows and um uh yeah and I, I have to remind myself when I get really nervous that the chances are is that it it will um you know probably come together I mean I do practice I write everything out beforehand I time it. I, you know, I, I do first. Yeah. yeah, Kind of thing. But often I don't rehearse a ton because I mean, part of it is it's actually so nerve wracking rehearsing. (laughs) Like, um, but I, you know, I make sure I can say it at least, you know, I I'll get to a point where I can say it pretty, I know I can get through it. Do you have any, um, comedy performances I know, I know you got reimagined, but do you have any scheduled comedy performances right now? Yeah. Um, so during reimagine, um, I actually have two shows. Um, so, um, one is at the punchline, um, which will be on October 29th. 
um, called Good Grief, and it'll be a mix of comedians um, from San Francisco and other parts of the Bay Area um, talking about death and loss. And then um, we are also partnering with the Cal Academy of Sciences on their nightlife event, which is on... Um, the 31st of so Halloween and um, the title of that that show a little still TBD but will be um, ghost stories experiences kind of with the afterlife and things that haunt us Um, so it'll be like stand-up and storytelling about true stories what other reimagine programs and don't worry about like you know choosing this over that or like but what are you excited about yeah um i so maybe two or three things yeah um from the how many total um it's probably going to be close to 200 events jesus okay Um, well that's easy just pick two or three three. um well one i definitely want to highlight is our opening night which is at the sydney goldstein theater which is formerly the norse um and it's a um kind of a showcase of the different kind of things that you might see kind of going into reimagine. Um, and the author Anne Lamott is going to be interviewed by Anna Sale from Death, Sex and Money podcast. Um, and I think that's going to be really great. Um, but then there's going to be musicians, artists, there's um, going to be, you know, people who um, work in the end of life space, um, but kind of in interesting conversations and performances. Um, And that's on October 24th. Um, And then, um, you know, obviously I'm kind of excited about the different comedy shows that are going to be happening. Um, I'm also just excited um, about... uh, so one of the big parts of my job and my the program team's job is doing some matchmaking across partners. So, like, for example, we're going to have um, some events at the Boys and Girls Club and um, the... Uh, Walt Disney Family Museum actually does these um, free workshops on stop action um, like film where they actually go to sites and bring equipment for like enough for 40 people to in teams to to create something and so um, the person who runs their behavioral health program is going to help frame the the films that they're going to make are around the end of life topic and then we're going to be able to feature them at the laundry um, which is our kind of event hub throughout the week um, just as a place for people to connect and we'll be having programming including yours Jeff um, which I'm super psyched about oh and then the closing is actually really awesome so on the November 3rd we're going to have an intergenerational dance party um, down at Civic Center Um, so it'll be seniors and young people and, um, it's just really us. us. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of midlifers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's going to be a closing ceremony that should be pretty awesome too. I guess just the one just shout out for reimagine in general is that, um, there's pretty much something for everyone in the, the lineup. Like, Um, And so either, you know, kind of more wellness events or grief events to art, you know, concerts, like it's wherever you're at, there is like some, I think, place that you can tap in. And I would just say that if you're even on the fence slightly, 
that you should just try it because I, I think just of what I've seen from the past couple of festivals, um, it's a pretty special like experience to go someplace where people are actually very comfortable being vulnerable and open and um, talking about something that is often pretty hard to do, but it's somehow easy to do in this context. That was Dara Kosberg. Join us next week when we'll hear from sculptor and public artist Brian Goggin. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. You can find all episodes on our website, storiedsf.com. While you're there, please help support what we do by going to our store page and choosing from several different pledge levels. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can now subscribe on our YouTube channel. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. And if you have any feedback for us, our email is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.